Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to Papa and Banks with Giants legend Carl Banks and broadcaster Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the Papa Banks Show. Bob Papa with two-time Super Bowl champion Carl Banks and uh, getting ready for week four of the NFL season. The Bengals with a thriller last night. How about the play of the Jacksonville Jaguars giving Cincinnati they, all they can handle? And uh, we're going to chop up what's going on in week four of the NFL season. And Carl, I know that uh, our guest this week is someone that you've known for a very long time. Yes. The one, the only Coach Charlie Weiss. Coach, how are you? I'm doing fine. You know, Carl was one of the people who kind of weaned me into this league when I was a puppy. You know, I had a few people that really I leaned on my first year, and Carl was at the head of the table. And that's why I'm allowed to call him Chuck, people. Not many people get to call him Chuck, but, you know, we had that relationship. We grew up basically in the same football household, so we could uh, we could commiserate with each other at times, you know. I allow it. it. Yeah. So, so Chuck, I'm coming in hot right now, man, because there's, there's some stuff I got to get off my chest and, and, and because you grew up in a system and your football, um, your view of how football is played and coached, we share, uh, because of our, our upbringing in this thing. But I'm seeing, you know, there, you know, there's always going to be a book about something. But now we got all these talking heads talking about, ah, you know, the greatness of Bill Belichick is 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 overrated because it was because he had Tom Brady. And I'm saying to myself, what fucking great coach didn't have a great player? You know, I've seen a lot of good. I've, I've seen a lot of coaches screw up great players, but if you're telling me that those two can't be great in their own right. And one guy is, is now less great because the other guy's gone. It's complete bullshit. I mean, well, it's I, just so you know, I totally agree with you. And even though, you know, I'm not boys with, with Mr. Kraft, you know, I looked at from all the years that I was there with those, with Bill, with the giants, you know, and with the being with them with the jets and then working for him in New England, I mean, there's, I look at the strengths of all the great people I've been able to work with. You know, Parcells has his strengths, you know, but, um, and his number one strength I thought was button pushing, Carl. Mm -hmm. Parcells would be able to know that button to press yeah. to make Carl Banks, but that your button is gonna be different than Charlie Weiss's button. It's gonna be different than Bob Papa's button, but, in Belichick's case, no one had better week-to-week -week insight and no one had better foresight. He was always thinking down the road. So not only could he outthink you on game day, but he's also two weeks ahead of you, two months ahead of you, two years ahead of you. Mm. And I thought that th this offseason and how he handled free agency was a perfect example Oh, how one guy was ready and everyone, everyone else weren't when mm. it came to free agency this year. There's no better telltale than just to watch what just happened and say, well, how did he figure that out when no one else could figure that yeah. out? Yeah, it's it's just it's just so interesting though, because you know, they're they're you know, Tom Brady is, in my opinion, you know, the greatest quarterback to walk, walk the face of the earth. And I have the utmost respect for him. And, you know, for people to say, well, you know, uh, Bill treated him bad. Like, we, we know, Charlie, we know you just talked a little bit about, you know, what gets players to play. Winning is not comfortable. Winning is, is, is it, people make sacrifices. And so if a coach has to coach his best player the same way or as hard as he coaches his other players, where's the problem in that? Like winning, it, it, winning requires sacrifice. And then winning at the level that they want at consistently, well, ain't nobody done it yet. So who are they to say 
this is not the right way to do it. Until somebody can do what they're doing, then then how can you have a fucking opinion on whether a player that player seemed to do pretty good in that system? That player continued to resign in that system. So if 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 it was too hard for him, or he didn't like it, or if winning wasn't pleasant enough for him, then he would have left, which he did when his contract was up this year. Hey, let's face it, all great players, like you're you're a giant, but that doesn't mean you didn't play for the Browns. Right. I mean, you know, all great players could end up with another team. And there's how you handle it outwardly and how you handle it inwardly. Now, outwardly, I mean, like even this week leading up to the Tampa Patriot game, everyone's handling this the right way. Mm -hmm. I mean, utmost respect, everything was fine, da-da-da-da-da-da. You know they both want to kick each other's butt. That's that goes without saying. Yeah, that's that's part of the competitive nature that when you're involved in things like this. I mean, so this really isn't this complicated. It's really not to sit there and try to separate these guys, separate these guys with a he said she said just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and well, let's face it, they've handled it great. It was the dopey trainer last week. You know Brady's guy. Alex Guerrero that did an interview that kind of fanned these flames. The, the, the head coach of the New England Patriots and the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Bucks have, I mean, if you were running a PR class or crisis management had to deal with something, they have both handled it absolutely perfectly. Yeah, and then they go to Tommy's father. What do you think Tommy's father's going to say? He's Tommy's father. Yeah. You know, what, you don't think Tommy's father's going to say, yeah, he wants to beat New England? Of course he wants to beat New England. I mean, that goes without saying. And you, you, know, know, what other, you know what other narrative that pisses me off this week? I don't want to hear about, you know, that billboard that they the, some angry Patriots fan put up in Foxborough. Uh, I don't want to hear about Belichick's record without Brady. Okay? I don't want to hear about that because first and foremost – he had Cleveland going in the right direction. Coach, you were on Parcell's staff when Banks and Belichick beat you guys in a playoff in 1994 before the owner decided to move the franchise. And correct me if I'm wrong. You mean when you Banks held our tight end every time we went, went off the line of scrimmage? Yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It took Banks first time, to score. Hey, look, first time, first time it ever happened to him, huh? He didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> Learning. I, 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 can I tell a quick story? Yes, this yeah, is I our this podcast. Because I, I learned this from, from, from Phil Sims. He says, Carl, you, you want to learn how to work the refs. You can talk to them any kind of way you want to or within reason. And you can, you can ask them anything if you call them by their first name. So you can go and scream at a referee and say, Jerry Mark Bright, this is a piece of shit call. And Jerry be like, okay, Carl, I'll take a look at it, right? So Phil told me that. He said, you can get away with a lot if you, if you address the officials by their first name. So I don't know who the line judge was on that, uh, in that game, but I knew going in that I had that five-yard cushion that I could jam the tight end. So what I did, I went to the official, and I said, I forget his name. I said, I'm going to show you what I want to do to this tight end. Now, I got five yards. Now, if my hands are in here, and I jam him, am I good? He said, yeah, yeah, as long as you let him go within five yards. But if your hands get out wide, we're going to call it. I said, okay, thank you. I'm, I'm just letting you know because he's going to bitch about it. He says, okay. So first time I jammed Ben, he bitched to the referee. Referee says, just play. He's, he's, he's within the rules, right? The next time I get Ben on the outside of his shoulder pads, right, clearly holding. You know what the official, he looked at me and says, Carl, you're a little wide on that one. Get him back inside. So I had to already work the referee. I didn't get a call the whole game because, and, and then, you know, if I did it another time and Ben's complain, I look at the ref say, was I okay with that one? He said, yeah, you're, you're fine with that one. So I worked the ref the whole game and uh, we were able to take him out. I'm going on pro football reference right now. I'm trying to look up to see who the line judge was for that game. I can't find it. I can't find Defensive it. Defensive guys are always cheating anyway, Bob. You know, so it, you know, it doesn't make a difference. They're always cheaters. 
No, I just knew how to work the rules and work good fundamentals, man. And that's, you know, that leads me into another thing. Well, can uh, I just finish this point about, about yeah. the, about the, I'm the sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, if my memory serves me correct, and I know my memory is correct on this in 2008, Tom Brady got hit in the knee against the Kansas city chiefs in the very first game of the season. And he was lost for that entire year. Well, then Matt Castle stepped in at quarterback. Did the Patriots not go 11 and five? They did. Did the Patriots not win games when Garoppolo had to start or Jacoby Brissett had to start? Did they, did they did. not just keep winning? Yeah, so, so let's, let's not, I don't want to hear about Belichick's record without Brady. What's Belichick's record without Brady in New England in the times that Brady didn't play? Bet you it's a winning record. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really odd, man, because. You know, Charlie, you've been a head coach. You've coached great players, and you know that a coach is as only good is 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 as good as his players. Um, you got great players. Your job as a head coach to make sure that they they continue to be great and bring out the best in them, right? Absolutely. Um, I don't know any any coach that we speak about in the public arena as great that didn't have great players at some point in their career. They had great players. The late Bill Walsh had great players. Chuck Noll had great players. Bill Parcells had great players. Bill Belichick. You go on in. Mike Shanahan. Um, uh, Dan Reed With the Celtics? Yeah, they all had great players. So they can be great coaches and, and still be great players. Now, if you ruin a great player, then you're a shitty coach. But a, a, a great coach with great players, yeah, that's how it works, folks. I mean, that's, that's a simple formula. And for people to sit there, I, I know that Parcells used to judge us as assistant coaches by having the, having your best players play as best players and having your younger players develop at the same time. It was important to you, to him that you did both of those things, you know, but really with the guys that were, all, that were great players, you gave them coaching points, not coach them. There's a two two different things. I mean, when 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 Al Groh was coaching you, he didn't have to tell you how to play the game. He, all he had to do is give you, here's what we're doing this week, and here are the finer points. Yeah. Whereas if he was coaching somebody like Bobby Abrams, you know, you'd have to coach the hell out of him, just so that if they had to go in the game. You yeah. know, there wasn't going to be a big drop off from the first guy to the second guy. Yeah. Now, you guys were a staff of teachers, right? You talk about the finer points. You know, there's coaching and there's there's teaching. And you guys were great teachers of football and great teachers of, of fundamentals, which I really respect. And the other thing um, that I also respect is that the fact that you guys were great adjustment makers. You took feedback in real time and made adjustments. And, you know, that was, you know, another thing, uh, you know, Bill Belichick, he's, you know, he's, he's smarter than everybody else. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't take feedback and he doesn't have his players have input. Well, shit, the, the guy I knew from my rookie year, you walk off the sideline. The first thing he does is grab a whiteboard and ask you what happened. Yeah, that you know, that not that him not listening to players is a bunch of garbage, as you know, especially yeah. on game day, especially on game day, because I think that that I prided myself as being part of a staff. We never waited for halftime adjustments. Oh Those God! Are, can you can you please explain to our audience that when people say about halftime adjustments, how overblown that whole thing is? <laughs> Halftime half is only 12 minutes long. By the time you come in and go to the bathroom, the coaches talk for a couple minutes. You come out, you talk to the players for maybe, what, two minutes, Carl? Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you talk to them for like two minutes, and then you're, back at, you're going back out there. So the real adjustments for an offensive player are when your defense is on the field. And it's series by series. It's not quarter by quarter or halftime. 
I mean, at each series is over, you want to know what happened on the field, make sure everyone's on the same page, especially if they did something different than what you're planning for, so you could adjust accordingly. So I have another Charlie Weiss story, and I'm talking about you as a teacher, right? And you as a guy who um, can make adjustments. So we were together at the Jets. And um, there was a stretch. Which coach always tries to distance himself from. It's okay. <laughs> um, there was a stretch where Keyshawn Johnson was was having a, a, a tough time with the system and just, you know, getting on track, you know, and, and playing to his level of, 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 of expectation, meaning he wanted to be, you know, involved. He wanted to have a, bit, a bigger role in the offense and, um, you have just bring you just brought um, Todd Haley into the fold as a receiver coach. He was just getting his feet wet, and so uh, I was player development. So I took all the incoming from the players. So Keyshawn storms in my office. He's like, "Dude, I don't know what to do. This this freaking offense. I I can't get open, and they're not doing enough for me, and um, I, I don't know what to do." I said, "I'll tell you what. Have a conversation with Charlie." No, he's going to scream at me. He's going to cross this here. Get Todd Haley. Tell, tell Todd Haley to have a conversation with Charlie and see how they can better use you. Maybe suggest uh, putting you in motion or doing something like that. So I don't know how it got to you, but that next, that well, the rest of that year, you know, there was a lot more movement from Keyshawn because he was complaining. He's like, I'm 6'5". I can't just stand in the slot. You know, I need to. So I said, and, and, and Todd was, both of them were scared to come and talk to you. I said, no, go talk to him. He'll, he'll make the adjustment if he thinks it works for the team. Sure enough, I guess, I don't know who came to you, either Keyshawn or, or Todd, he but um, he started moving. Huh? Keyshawn came to me. Oh, did he? Yep. How, how'd that conversation go? Was it like, no, I don't want to hear anything you got to say, just do it my way, son? No, it was, it was, it was me sit there and say, and say you know, I'm going to be quiet. Go ahead and talk. Yeah. And then after he was finished, he goes, okay. And then I go, uh, let me think about it. And he was waiting for me to say, you know, what else I was going to say. I said, let me think about it. So then he left and I didn't do all the things that he asked, but I gave him enough where I gave him enough of what he was asking for, where he actually felt good that somebody was actually listening to a suggestion he had. And it may, and I mean, the be that, and that was a key. That no, no pun intended. With right. Keyshawn, but the, the key was that the player knew that you were listening to him and you were trying to implement some of the things that he was talking about. And as a result of that, you were a better team because he was more productive. Yeah, he had a good year. Yeah. So, Charlie, can I, I have to ask you, as a, as a play caller now, and a really good one, um, do you ever want to get back into this? I think you could add so much to the game. Now, I'm not recruiting you, but i just asking, because you're down there in Florida and you're just kicking up and, and you play that Margaritaville music and all of that. Do you ever want to get back in it? And your son's coaching too. Um, it, in the, I've been offered, you know, a few things in the last few years that were never the right thing for the right people, you mm -hmm. know, for the right people. It was either people didn't know me and I didn't know them. You know, the, the problem I have is, you know, I have a big personality and the head coach has to be comfortable, has to be comfortable that you're coming in just to help him win. Mm -hmm. And too many times with all the young guys, especially that they hire now, that they're afraid, you know, they're afraid that either by reputation or whatever, that your personality is going to be too big to be bringing on. And therefore, you're not a team guy. I think that in the right situation, and my son and I talk about this a bunch, uh, in the right situation, you know, where I could, I could help, you know, help an offense in whatever capacity and help the head coach at the same time, mm. 
I think it would be a very valuable resource. And I know you would be a valuable resource. I think you, you are. That, that's something I would consider, but that's the important thing, Carl, is you have to, you have to not be in a comfort zone, but you've got to be in a situation where everyone, everyone wins by you doing it. Because if not, I'd rather just stay out down, down here and go take a swim in a pool here in about a half hour. <laughs> it's just, I, I just think this, this um, level of NFL play is, is really catered to your style of coaching. You were so far ahead in terms of uh, the way you saw offense in sets in movement um, and just the, the coaching instincts that you have that were so unconventional that it would, it would be, tailor-made for today's type of game and um you know what surprises so me a little bit i'll say one thing about pro offenses i don't understand why they don't exploit teams by personnel groupings exactly i mean it's almost all 11 every yeah. time you watch a game you know you got three wide receivers a tight end and a back and you never really get to exploit a team personnel groupings by how are you going to treat this guy? Let's see, cite one of your teammates. How are you going to treat Dave Meggett when he's on the field? Yeah. Are you treating him as a running back? Are you treating him as a wide receiver? What are you treating him as? You know, and I, I just, I watched the game today and I'd say 80% of the league at least, you know, just puts, puts 11 people out there all the time and that's all you have to worry about defending. Who do you yeah, like well, watching? Who do I like watching? Uh, there are a couple teams. There are a couple teams that I enjoy watching, but it's tough not to like watching Andy Reid. I like watching Andy Reid because he'll put two tight ends out there. He'll 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 change personnel groupings. He'll use he'll use formations and motions, and a lot of it is just window dressing. You know, window dressing, but I enjoy watching how he, you know, seems to always be able to create mismatches just by formations alone. Now it helps having that number fifteen at quarterback, yeah, but because he makes it go. But I, I really enjoy watching him call a game. You know, the the other thing too that I I, I see absent, and this is to your point when you have players that can cause conflict for a defensive play caller, how do you treat him? And then when he lines up here, what is he? You know, that, that certainly you, to your point, there's just not a lot of, not enough of that conflict um, being presented to defenses, but by the same token, it's easy for offenses now because defensive coordinators are not that freaking good. And I'm just telling you, Charlie, at what point did we get in this league where if a quarterback lined up and saw cover two, he says, we can check to a run and run against it. It would be a fucking insult if it was an automatic, if you saw cover two, and they checked to a running. You couldn't. It would be an insult. I, I've yeah. never, I never right. looked at the, the way we were taught. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a back in the day guy. I got new school sensitivities. But it's like, how can you not teach your players to fucking play cover two and the responsibilities that go with it? Are you conceding? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the pass, but I'm gonna give you the run. Like, is that the conflict that they deal with now? Is that the dilemma? Like, if I play cover two, I'm going to have to give up 15 yards on a running play. Because yeah, basically what they're telling you is their five are better than your five. Or yeah. their seven are better than your seven. We can just block everyone individually, and then we're going to have a big gaping hole. That means no one on defense is going to win on the play. That's basically what they're saying to you. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And defensive coordinators seem to concede this. Like, I, I sit up and I watch, you know, Monday Night Football. Everybody, you know, all the announcements, up oh, there in cover two, here comes a run. Well, the fuck? I mean, why? 
Like how, how did that become the norm? Like, oh, if you don't put an extra guy in the box, it's like, oh, they can run the ball on you. When did that, when did that style of coaching ever become acceptable? You know, that, the, the other thing that gets me in today's football, and remember now I'm old and I get it, but why I know there's a lot of new younger coaches on offense, the head coaches that were play callers that, you know, things were going well. But I don't understand when you go into a place why people don't cater their offense around what the quarterback can do. Yeah. And what he can't do. Okay. And do a lot of what he can do and just do a lot less of what they can't do. And it's a simple, you talked about the Jets. So we'll go off, off the page here. We'll talk about the Jets. When Vinny Testaverde was our quarterback, we came real close to going to the Super Bowl. And Vinny liked to do less, not more. Most quarterbacks want more, not less. Mm. He wanted to do less. Every Wednesday night, he'd meet with me and say, take this out, take this out, take this out, take this out. Now, he wasn't saying, put this in, put this in, put this in. He just wanted to have less things and practice them more times. Well, and how do we do? Pretty I good. Mean, we came damn close to going to the going to the Super Bowl. Lose to Denver, you know, in the AFC Championship game, you know, after we had a two-touchdown lead. I mean, so, I mean, I just don't understand, especially with all the young quarterbacks that are playing, why teams don't spend more time just developing the offense around what that guy can and cannot do. Just to circle back just quickly to the Thursday night game, didn't it feel like Jacksonville did a little bit more of what Absolutely. fits Trevor Lawrence? All of a sudden they had him running a little bit, some called runs, got yeah, him on the move by a nature, bit. By nature, that play caller is not a big run guy. Mm. But you could see that there was a concerted effort to get the run game going and involve the quarterback. And you want to know what? Jacksonville became a much better team last night. They didn't win the game, but they became a much better team last night. And you could tell just the, the quarterback's body language and his movements on the field, he felt like a football player. He didn't feel like, hey, I'm playing quarterback in the NFL. He felt like, hey, I can just go play football. You could tell him scrambling, throwing the ball down the field, putting it on a rope. A week ago, it was a little more robotic, right? He was thinking about it. Oof. Last night, he just let it rip because he was in his element. And I think to your point, coaches have to be able to sense or evaluate the type of personnel they have available to them and do the things that work for them. No different than what Harbaugh does with, um, with Lamar Jackson. Hell, they get 300 yards a game rushing, you know, and nobody's figured out how to stop what they do. So why should they, why should they immediately become a drop back passing team when nobody can beat them doing what they do or stop them? I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. And not to get off point and, and get too deep a dive into last night, but I mean, at the end of the half, do you agree with Urban Meyer going for it on fourth and goal, or do you take the three and make it a 17 point lead at the half? You know, and you know, it's easy to sit there and say with how the game played out, it's easy to sit there and say, Oh yeah. The three points. You can't play that game. You make it a three score, but make it a three score game, you know, take the points. I mean, they had all sorts of momentum going for them. The problem with momentum is momentum could change on a dime. Yeah. And that play didn't just cost them points. It also changed the momentum in the game as was shown at the start of the third quarter. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is where <clears throat> the folks that use the data or the analytics to fit a narrative to justify, hey, well, you know, the, the numbers said they should have went for it there, right? Well, the numbers never tell you if you got the personnel to freaking execute the play. The numbers don't tell you, <clears throat> the numbers don't tell you what the end result would be if that team got the ball back, 
Um, so it's just, it's just, it's weird. It's weird to me. And we're, we've been in analytics for our whole careers. That's what they call tendencies before they were, yeah. you know, um, but Tom Landry was using analytics as a yes. player coach with the giants in the fifties. Yeah. So it's, it's nothing new, but it's, it, you know, and I get it. It, it keeps fans and player and fans engaged with their players, but like there's, there's some nuance to this thing. The numbers don't tell you the story. And I just, I just had a whole thing uh, last night over the last couple of days. These fans are screaming about the giants uh, not going for it on fourth and three from the 39 yard line. And it's a crosswind in, in the Meadowlands and they couldn't kick it. So he punts it. The defense holds, they come down and score again. And people are still complaining that they didn't go for it on fourth down. Like, well, they got three makeshift offensive linemen in there. Uh, they just lost two receivers. So when exactly do you, and you hate, and, and I'm talking about the fans now, they hate the offensive coordinator. So a week ago, the offensive coordinator couldn't call a play to save his life. Now they're calling on him to make a play to go for it. So it's nuanced to it. And when a coach has a feel for it and they say, okay, I'm going to trust my defense because if we get them the punt, we'll get the ball back and we'll score, which is exactly what they did. Yeah, well, you obviously you don't can't listen to the fans anyway, you know. So you're listening. You you just committed a mortal sin, Carl, because you're, no, no, you're, I don't listen. I just I just sit and I watch and I says, you guys got it wrong. You're thinking about this all wrong. The bigger issue um, for them is they they get a go ahead touchdown and they couldn't get off the field and then they drop a they drop a, a game winning interception. That's where your focus is. They had enough points to win. And, you know, no disrespect to Giant fans, but they don't understand the wind in that stadium. I mean, no, they don't. You understand the wind in the stadium. You, you both do. You've watched, you know, you watch, you've been involved with years and years of Giant football and the wind in that stadium. A crosswind, you're on the, on the 39 yard line, it's going to be a, what a 57 yard field goal. Now I know the kicker is really good, but still you're that that's a tall task that you're asking. And at the end of the day, you're what you want to do is pin them back, get the ball back in good field position and score. And then that's exactly what happened. So really in that exchange, you won. Okay. You won that exchange. You didn't, you didn't make a mess up in that. Right. Now, now it could, you know, things could have turned out worse, but they didn't. They turned out exactly the way you hoped for or the way you planned. Yeah. So everyone should be saying that's a good move, not a bad move. Yeah, it's just the, the just the nuance of of um, those type of decisions that that fans don't really grasp because they look at again the hard data that says, well, the 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 numbers say you should have kicked it here, or the numbers said you should have gone for it here. And I said, oh, and by the way, they're only 33.3% on fourth down conversions anyway. So that probably factored into it too. But it's just like coaches have a feel for personnel and how games are going. And fans can only, they can only comment in hindsight and say, well, it should have been this or the data. I'm looking at the data and the data say you go for it here, but the data doesn't have a heartbeat. The data doesn't know what your backup uh, offensive guard is capable of like missing a block that, that knocks you out of the red zone a series before that. I'm with you. You're preaching to the choir right here. Hey, listen, uh, it's funny too. The whole thing about analytics, what, what's the, I mean, and wait, I mean, let me be clear right now, Bob, none of us are anti-analytics. No, no. but the, listen, they've been keeping batting averages in baseball since the sport started. So what happened in 1920 when a guy got up to bat that had a 400 average or a 385 average, and there was a man on second and third and first base was open. And the guy that was coming up next had a batting average of 230. Guess what they did? They intentionally walked him. So ha, they used analytics in 1922. <laughs> Babe Ruth was up and the Yankees needed a home run. Guess what? They probably pitched around him. There you go. 
Unfortunately, they had Lou Gehrig coming up next, so it wasn't yeah. really a good there picture. You go. <laughs> there you go. Pick your poison, right? Uh, Coach, what else, uh, is, is there anything else that pisses you off about the game today? Oh, Carl, it's you. You're you're the ranter today. I'm just I'm just well. I'm, I'm, I'm he's just lot. chiming in. I, I don't know if there's anything else that's that's uh, that I could say that wouldn't get Charlie in trouble if I made him talk about it because. No. No, I'll tell you, I'll give you something, Carl. You know, no, I no, I, I listen. I again, we, we've, we've, uh, we grew up in, in, in sea football, you know, the same. And it's unfortunately a little different than some people see it today or how it should be played. But it's, it's a game, like you said, it's a game of matchups, it's a game of exploitation and, and how you can best get your best players on their worst players. Um, but there's also a thing, Charlie, where I think you can overreact, especially on the defensive side of the football. You, there's, there's some overreaction trying to have, um, the right play instead of the best play. Meaning you got the personnel, um, that you prepared for, you know, you look in and you see something in this situation. And you say, boy, I could go match up coverage on this. But then you look at the clock, you're like, boy, maybe I shouldn't be in matchup coverage because they hit two big plays, they're across midfield and ready to score. So maybe the best call might not be the right call for what you were planning to do. And I think that gets lost every once in a while in the heat of the moment where <clears throat> some teams could be in prevent defense, which they don't play that anymore either. I don't know why. Well, no, they do. They call it the umbrella coverage now. And they do it on third and longs. But when 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 coordinators tend to get a little too cute in situations where it would be, be, behoove them to be a little more conservative, to run clock and eat eat game up. So it's, you know, I, I just look at I look at this game and I you mean you like know, the Jets all out blitz last year against the Raiders at the end of the game. There you go. There you go. Simple, zero coverage, all out blitz. I think the guy just wanted to be fired at that point because there's did. no other. He fired it the next day. Yeah, there's no logical explanation <laughs> other than what did you think you were going to end the game because you got the personnel, you saw, you got the grouping you saw, and you thought you could get there? Was well, the end of the game, bro? Just keep them out of the end zone. How about that? Keep everything in front of you. So it's 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 just kind of weird, like in in. You know, being in the heat of the moment, I know coaches, they prepare all week and they they look for certain things, but you also have to have your finger on the pulse of the game, don't you? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, field definitely comes into play. You can talk, and like you said, we all are in favor of analytics, but analytics just has become more defined by definition rather than the fact that it's just like RPOs. Yeah. And RPOs start my whole career. There were RPOs. Mm -hmm. They were called a little differently, but there are RPOs. Now, have they have they taken it to another level? Yeah, but there were. It was almost like oh, this is some new concept. They've been running the RPOs for fifty years. I mean, you know, there were always some form of on a on instead of passing the ball here, run it, or instead of run the ball here, pass it, or you know, there there there's always things like that that weren't just check with me zone plays mm. that being said you know when in the grand scheme of things it, it football shouldn't be any more complicated than this um just one simple formula you got strengths you got weaknesses every week you go against a team they have strengths they have weaknesses hide your weaknesses play to your strengths attack their weaknesses try to minimize their strengths it really doesn't have to be any more difficult than that. If I got Carl Banks and Lawrence Taylor as the outside linebackers, that's going to be a mismatch every week. So play to your strengths. Now you're on the other side. I'm an offensive coordinator going against those two guys. I have to, I have to find a way to minimize that strength. And that's easier said than done. There you have it. Hey, um, coach, I know coach, you have a lot of famous friends like Carl. 
And I know one of your best buddies is John Bon Jovi. Jersey. Is he torn this weekend? Um, he'll be rooting for the Patriots. He'll be rooting for the Patriots? Yes. He'll be okay. rooting for the Patriots. Okay. His, his loyalty at the end of the day is to Coach Belichick. And Kraft. And the Kraft Now, he loves Tommy, but, you know, he, he roots for the Patriots and the Giants. That's who he roots for. You know, he grew up a Giant fan, used to go to all the Giant games, you know, became real close with all us, you mm-hmm. know, and then, you know, he's real close with Belichick, close with Kraft. So I think at the end of the day, he'll be, he'll be rooting for the Patriots. It won't surprise me if on Sunday night when they show Kraft in the box, sitting to his right won't surprise me at all if it's Bon Jovi sitting next to him. That's cool. Are you t- are you torn? Because I know you're the affinity that you have for the head coach and for the quarterback. Um, I don't care who wins. We're going to talk about it Monday morning anyway, right, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, whatever happens, we're going to talk about. Um, you know, Tommy's like a like a son to me. You know, we it, I know it's like that because we don't call, we don't talk on the phone very often like a typical father son, but, you know, uh, but um, I love Tommy always will. A lot of my, a lot of what's happened in my life, it's been because of Tommy, you know, but that I could say the same for Belichick as well, you know, and, you know, so I'm going to watch the game. I don't care who wins. Um, whoever wins wins, you know, um, I have no skin in the game as far as, my involvement other than I'm just going to enjoy. I would like, the only thing I would like to, to, to do is I would like to be at the pregame. I would not want to be at the game. I'd rather be sitting on my couch watching the game, but I would like to be at the pregame because that 20 minutes before the game, when they show that video, uh, that video collage, of, you know, Tommy coming, you know, all the years that he spent in New England, you know, that'll be pretty special. Other than that, I'd rather be sitting on the couch with all my friends. That means I'll be sitting alone, okay, uh, watching watching the game and just enjoying it. Whatever happens, happens. Oh, what so, about I, – I just want to ask you a personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you were with the Giants. You won two Super Bowls. It kind of fell apart in 91 and 92. Big change there. Uh, Dan Reeves comes in. They make a lot of changes. So you wind up uh, leaving. And you're playing for a team that I know you don't like to think about. So let's we won't talk about the team itself that you played for that one year before you went to Cleveland. But you had to play in Giant Stadium. Yeah. Was that a miserable experience for you going back in there? No. No, it was actually the fans were decent. Like at that time, I well, think they missed you. <laughs> but at that time, I mean, I had one heckler behind our bench. That was it. But at that time, I think there was still a great appreciation for what we had accomplished um, in that uniform. So I, I didn't get I didn't get too much crap. And you know, um, most of the fans knew it wasn't my choice to leave either. Right. But was it weird, like getting off the bus and having to go right to that the visitors' locker room? No, no. I mean, because it was just—it was a total change. No, right? It was—it was a total change. It was a changing of the guard. It wasn't like, you know, Charlie and those guys were still in that locker room and they were coaches. It would have been weird then seeing all the old guys, right? But. You know, I got ushered out of there and I didn't know anybody on the other side anyway. You know, so it was just I came in and it was great to see the fans. But other than that, it really wasn't that weird. Yeah, It would be weird for Tom, though. All the guys that you knew were in New England. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. So just in in wrapping in, 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 in bringing this full circle, you know, we talk about we've talked about that game and rightfully so uh, this Sunday night game. But you could make the case that the the real epicenter 
for the NFL this weekend, as far as football is concerned, is taking place in L.A. Because you've got, on Sunday, you've got the Cardinals and the Rams in SoFi Stadium. And then on Monday night, you got the Raiders and the Chargers in SoFi Stadium. I mean, the teams are combined 11-1. and one. Yeah. That's, That's going to be fun to watch. You know, Charlie, I'll, throw another, I'll throw another one out to you. You know, no one's even talking about this one. Do you realize Andy Reid goes back to Philadelphia this week? No. I, I didn't even think about that. That's no right. No one's even talking about that. 14 right. years as the head coach of the Eagles. The Chiefs yeah. played, played the Eagles in Philadelphia. That's going to be – that's that, that'll be an interesting one, too. Though I don't think the teams are equally matched, so as much as the ones out in LA, but you know, I, I you talk about like how the game has been has uh, been catered towards talent. I think uh, Cliff Kingsbury has done a really good job. He knew the quarterback that he wanted. He got the quarterback that he wanted, and um, he's got an offense that 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 suits that kid. You know, they keep him on the move and. He's, you know, he's a, a integral part of, of how they move the ball. Now he did, he did figure out he needed a tight end in the NFL though. He didn't think he needed one. And then I think, I think after his first year, he says, I think I need a tight end. Yeah. He actually runs the ball some now he's, he's come around some, you know, yeah. the problem with Cliff is, you know, when he played in college, all they did was throw it on every down. Yeah. You no. Know, so they threw it on every single down. So we drafted him in new England. And, you know, he kind of ended up being almost like an offensive assistant coach because he was like a down the line, a down the line guy for us. But, you know, he's gone from throwing it on every down to, you know, making it multifaceted and they've improved their defense too. They brought yeah. in some players. So, I mean, it's really going to both those games, as Bob said, really should have the intrigue of the whole league. I mean, it's really the place to be this weekend. How would you like to have that doubleheader? You know, you might even be able to squeak in a Dodger game too. I mean, yeah, you have that that doubleheader yeah. on Sunday and Monday where you got 11, 11 wins out of 12, 12 games between the four teams. It's unbelievable. That's great. The big question is going to be, we know that for the Rams game because the the Rams have a history of Los Angeles and the Coliseum and everything else. And then obviously they played in Anaheim um, and the Cardinals, you know, not a disrespect, but they don't have a gigantic fan base like uh, the Steelers or the Cowboys or those other teams. Um, but the big question is how many more Raiders fans that have a history in LA will there be in the building as opposed to the Chargers fans who are still pissed that the team actually ah, left San Diego. Good point. That's a good point. I think there'll be more Raiders fans than there will be Chargers fans from Southern California, from San Diego. I don't think they're making a trip. I'm saying it's 70-30. I say it's probably more 80-20. Coach, you got a prediction on that? I think it's going to be a dominant Raiders crowd. That's all I'll say, a dominant Raiders crowd. And the Raiders are going to lose that game, too, by the way. Okay. You heard it here first. All right. Raiders are going to lose that one. Um, the Rams will win as well. So it'll be an L.A. sweep. I think the Rams are one of the more balanced teams from a talent perspective uh, in the NFL. I mean, they, they, keep, they keep falling out of that Final Four quest, uh, conversation in terms of your – your best four teams in the league. I think they're one of the four best teams in the league uh, just because defensively and offensively, they're so balanced. And I think um, Matthew Stafford gives them quite an edge. And they got rid of the quarterback that has the most turnovers in the NFL since the start of 2019. Jared yeah, Goff, well. and they upgraded it with Matthew Stafford. Carl, Charlie, you think wait, this is a great one because – when Bill beat them in the Super Bowl, right? And they there was this, there was this, um, they did this interview. You know how the networks do this court, coach quarterback interview and Goff was talking about how he likes to communicate with his coach up until the clock cuts off, right? 
How much, how crazy would that make you if you had to basically hand hold your quarterback's hand up until they shut that communication off so that well, he could get the play right? It, it, well, they can't, it, Carl, they shut it off in 15 seconds. Well, yeah, well, regardless of what he said, he's wrong because they shut it off at 15 seconds. So with 15 seconds to go, that it shuts off. With 15 yeah. seconds to go. Yeah. So when the Patriots were timing it and they were changed, they were given one look and they knew when it, that that communication cut off, they changed their defense and it confused right. the heck out of them. That's that's right, because he he didn't have anyone to spoon feed him anymore. Right. So the fact that that happens where you got you as a coach are looking out there and saying, okay, uh, they're in big nickel. So we're going to run X, Y, and Z. Okay. Communications off. He puts the play in communications off and all of a sudden they change it into something else. And he's like, he's lost. Is it, would that and drive you, know you nuts I would do to that Carl? What? I would go quick. Just to keep up. Yeah. Keep them honest. Okay. Mm. Cause you wouldn't have time to do what you just said you were going to do. But see, see that's always a counter. That's why you're Chuck. That's why you're Chuck. You know these things. You react in real time. It took them what a whole game, and they never figured it out. Never figured it out. But then again, we were in that Super Bowl twenty-five with two defensive linemen, and talk about analytics. When Bill came in and told us that they don't run the football, they haven't run the football in the last eight games. This is what we're going to do if. If Marv Levy had thought earlier, hey, we might as well start running the football if this is what they're going to do, we'd have to make an adjustment. But they stayed with what they did, and we beat them at their game. Yeah, they didn't give it to the running back till the fourth quarter, and by then it was too late. Yeah, exactly. And then Everson Walls made the big tackle to save the day to force yep. the long field goal. All right, uh, Coach, we appreciate a little time. As Carl, as we always end it, what do we do? Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And, Coach, make sure you tell a friend. Thank you so much for joining us. This was man. awesome, Chuck. And we need you back in the NFL. We need you back on the sidelines or in a press box. In a box. In a box. In a box. Be on the sidelines. We need your mind. We need Chuck's mind. On a headset where I can say, no, don't do that. What the hell are you doing? All right. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, we want to thank Coach Charlie Weiss for joining us here this morning. Hopefully we brought you inside the NFL and, and see how things work and what the thought process is as far as offense and defense and the subtle and finer points of the game. For Carl Banks, I'm Bob Papa. Thanks for joining us on Papa Banks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.